Blue foul. We'll take a shot downfield. And it is held in by Bryce Bulba. What a one-handed catch. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brucott to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted. Colorado got it. Witherspoon. With the biggest play in Colorado football for years. This could be a pass. Bryce Bobo down the field for Colorado. Some trickery, Philip Lindsay. Lindsay touchdown buffs. Oliver takes it. Has a big one already. He's got room here. Isaiah Oliver cuts it back. Harder to beat. He does. He'll take it. Touchdown. Who fell? Locked and one to the end zone, caught! Touchdown, Shea Fields! Off the right hand side, ball is fumbled, picked up by Kenneth Olabode, and he runs it in from the six! Touchdown! Touchdown, Colorado! The defense comes up big again! Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster, Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com. Here, as always, with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Pac-12 South champs. Feels good to say, for sure. <laughs> I mean, it's still... I'm not really sure it's fully sunk in yet. I didn't cry, which I must be used to winning now, because I thought for sure that's... Oh, there's going to be some waterworks in the stands <laughs> while the game was going on. I was getting so getting so nervous for the end of the game, but yeah, man. It's unbelievable. I got to ask though, Tyler, have you been able to go through all those episodes of The Rise without shedding a tear? No. <laughs> I didn't think so. Those are yeah. really well done. Interestingly, the one the one that really got me was the the Icelandic chant that we do now. Really? Okay. They had that clip from the TV clip and I was like, "Wow, that I mean, it's just so like there's actual passion behind it and I just haven't seen that at a CU game in a long time. I hope they have footage of the one from Utah cuz that one was loud." Yeah. I think the moment that got me was the pregame speech for the CSU game when Coach Mack said, you're my dream. Like, yeah. that's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. So they're headed out to Santa Clara this Friday for the Pac-12 championship game, of course. We'll talk a little bit more about this on our video preview, Tyler. But uh, at this point, is it playing with house money? Can you just enjoy the ride? Or should you get stressed out and, and be really disappointed if they don't pull off this upset? I mean, you can get stressed out, but I wouldn't be disappointed if they don't pull it off. Uh, I mean, how could you be? I mean, we're going to be 10-3. and three. Anybody predict 10-3 and three before the year without just being a homer? No, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's, it's yeah, of course you want to have your shot at the playoffs. You want to have your shot at the Rose Bowl, um, all the stuff that's on the table. And you want to finish off the season with a win. I mean, we still have a chance to do that in whatever bowl game we go to as well. But, you know, Pac-12 South Division champs is awesome. Pac-12 champions is a whole nother level, especially with a team like Washington standing on the other side of the field. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see how it plays out, but I, I really hope people aren't freaking out if we don't get it done. There was a sellout crowd, the first since 2008, to, to cheer on the Buffaloes on senior day. Tyler, were you nervous at all in, the, in that football game? Obviously a tie game with three minutes left in the third quarter. Um, yeah, I was nervous when in the first half when we gave – up points. I always that always makes me nervous when you let a team like Utah stay in the game because they found so many ways to win close ones. Um, I mean, watching the first half though, we were a lot better than they were. 
Um, I felt that pretty much throughout the game. Obviously, you give up points on special teams. You let them kick, return another kick to the three-yard line later in the game. I mean, you're just allowing team to stay in the game with you. Um, that has had some success this year. I mean, that always makes you nervous. Uh, obviously, when we got the ball back with, I want to say, just under two minutes left, you know, you have to run out the clock. They did it pretty easily, so there wasn't a whole lot of nerves there. But, you know, that moment, especially being up five, you never know with a Hail Mary type situation. So that had me a little nervous. Overall, though, honestly, watching the two games, I know they were closer to beating us than Washington State, but I think Washington State is a better football team. Yeah. You know, when I think back to this season, you think of certain moments, of course. Akella Witherspoon's interception against Oregon is mm. probably the one that's going to stand out the most, depending on what happens the rest of the season. Another moment that maybe might not get remembered but by other people but will be by me was Cheeto Beowuze's chase down on kickoff coverage. Uh, obviously, beginning the fourth quarter, it's still a close game. Colorado just a seven-point lead. Kyle Folks is headed down for a 96-yard touchdown. You kind of mentioned a little bit about that earlier. And, of course, Cheeto has that effort play. Knocks, just gets enough of him to knock him out at the three-yard line. The Buffs defense, of course, comes in there and proceeds to limit them to a field goal. It was just kind of a de defining moment for this team's grit, Yeah, uh, I felt like. And even though when Colorado got the ball back, they didn't score, I felt like that was just such a defining play in that football game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it just kind of seemed like this defense, would, no matter what they were up against, wasn't going to let them score when it mattered most, you know. Just unbelievable goal line stand, especially against a team as talented as Utah. Uh, honestly, like, I thought Cheeto was burned. Like, I have never seen him run that fast before in my life. I, I thought he was going to get the corner and he was going to be gone for him to actually get him there. Unbelievable effort play. And uh, maybe he'll surprise some folks in this 40 time. I mean, because he yeah. definitely was moving a little bit faster than I expected there. So, uh, yeah, huge play. I honestly thought the one where he destroyed the punt returner, I, I can't remember if it was earlier or after than that, was a big play as well. Kind of just said, all right, enough of this special teams nonsense. You know, we're going to actually hit someone and go and, and seal this game. Uh, so I thought that was a big one for him as well. Offensively, Colorado not with their best performance of the season. Uh, Utah stacks the box, limits Colorado to 2.8-yard rushing average on 38 attempts. Seth Lufau has 270 passing yards but 21 incompletions in that football game. What did you take from the offensive, offensive performance in that game? Missed opportunities. I mean, we dropped two pretty simple touchdown passes. I mean, you can blame Cepho, but at least two of those should have been completions for touchdowns. I feel, I feel like he's had more touchdowns taken away from him this year passing the ball than I can remember. We've had four or five guys get tackled at the one. Uh, I mean, both of those. Shea's gone, too. If he catches that, he just cuts left, and that was the end, that was the end of that. So um, he struggled a little bit, missed some throws, definitely, but... You know, if you catch a few of those, he's up for, towards 350 passing yards. And Did he have a touchdown? Yeah, he did, to Shea, right? Mm -hmm. So he would have had three touchdown passes. I mean, that's that obviously makes your stats look a little different. So the Buffs go undefeated at home for the sixth time in program history, their seventh 10-win campaign. I think back to it, Tyler, the only two games that I didn't uh, travel to cover or cover in person here in Colorado, at USC and at Michigan. Yeah, whoops. I'll be out in Santa Clara. It's all, it's all your fault then, huh? Well, I was at Michigan. So. Or, or you could be pretty excited because I'm going to be yeah, at the yeah. Pac-12 championship game and the bowl game. So. All right, good. We've <laughs> got to feel good about our chances now. It's all about Adam. Yep, yep. He's, he's the reason. Let's get this man well, it was my reverse. It was my reverse jinx in the preseason <laughs> too. Yeah, I'm taking all the credit here. Washington, certainly not a juggernaut like Alabama. Just how good are the Huskies? I think they're pretty good, man. 
I don't know. You watch them play. They got a talent all over the field. John Ross is a baller. Just an absolute freak physically. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how we try to guard him because I don't think, even how, with how good our secondary is, I don't think you want him one on one with anybody because he's just such a burner. Dante Pettis, number two guy, really good as well. Um, they throw a lot of their touchdowns to those two guys, so I think you have to try to find a way to make somebody else beat you out there. Miles Gaskin is a guy that people don't really talk about a whole lot. I feel like he's just a sophomore. He was one of the best freshmen in the country last year. He's got well over 1,000 yards rushing, really productive guy as well for this offense. They're just, I feel like, slept on a little bit nationally, even though they're number four. I mean, I think that's probably where they deserve to be, but I feel like most people around the country think they're overrated because all they've really seen from them this year is USC. They've destroyed some good football teams. Uh, if they get going, you're in a lot of trouble. I mean, it's I kind of liken them to a freight train a little bit. If they get going early, they're going to put you to bed early. Like they'll 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 take the game away from you in the first quarter if you let them. So I think for us, just kind of holding serve in that first frame is going to be important. What makes them so difficult too, in terms of a game plan, is just how well balanced they are. I mean, their offensive efficiency ratings number two in the country behind the Sooners. Their defensive efficiency ratings top ten as well. Uh, just three spots below Colorado, and then they've got a top 50 special teams rating. You look at Colorado, they're 117th in, the, in that. So their overall efficiency is number three just below Michigan. You maybe look, okay, what's the, what's the game they struggled in? And there was really, you know, the Arizona game mm -hmm. where they, had, they needed overtime, and it was a, a quarterback making plays with his feet that allowed uh, Arizona to have success. And then the other game, of course, USC. But just I don't think you can really take much from that USC performance if you're Colorado to your advantage, can you? It was no, basically I mean, their athletes out athletes. Right, yeah. US, USC has athletes that no other team in the country can match at various spots. You know what I mean? Uh, they get five stars all over the field. If they play well, they're going to be really tough to beat, especially how they've been playing down the stretch here. Um, that Arizona game is tough, too. It's your first conference game. Their non-conference schedule is garbage. I mean, not to say Arizona is any good, but it's still a step up in competition. You don't, and I think people, you know, you take a team lightly and you're like, oh, we're really good. You never know. I mean, I, I think they probably destroy Arizona nine times out of ten. They didn't in that scenario. I think the the running quarterback thing could be an interesting thing to watch. He's out. Uh, Cephal's obviously much different than Brandon Dawkins, but I think they could have some issues there uh, if we scheme appropriately. So the the Huskies have not played a uh, game on grass this season. The Buffs have one less day to prepare for the championship game. Either of those, you think, have any type of effect on Friday's game? I don't think so. I mean, most artificial services are basically grass at this point anyway, um, whether it's a mix of grass and fake or, you know, they're just way more realistic. It's not like AstroTurf anymore, you know, where it's obviously a completely different surface. I can't see it being that big of a deal unless for some reason the weather is a factor. Obviously, it's going to be a little more slick if it's grass, if it's raining or whatever. But, uh, no, I don't think the one day is a huge deal as well. You know, you have basically a week to get ready. I don't, I don't think it's going to be that much of a factor. And I guess Washington, even though they kind of got that celebration out of their system maybe sooner than Colorado, they still had to wait until the end of the Colorado game to – I'm sure they had the, the game – clips or you know footage on both teams ready to go right but they couldn't really they weren't going to dive in 100 percent on that film study until they knew who was going to win that game anyways right yeah i mean they got to see usc before which matters a little bit as well so i'm sure they have enough film on them so they probably spent a lot of time looking at us i would think but yeah i mean it's 
at the end of the day, it's just one day of preparation. I mean, they're going to get enough film time and enough practice time in to make sure that they're ready for the game. We are going to have more on this game with our Washington game preview video, which will be up on Friday morning, so be sure to check that out. Uh, some more topics to get into before I play an interview with Jeremy Irwin, who, uh, if you didn't notice earlier this week, I sent out the news that he's going to be back for his sixth year, which is big news, obviously. Mike McIntyre named the Pac-12 Coach of the Year. Jim Levitt, finalist for the Broyles Award. Obviously, neither of these things surprise us uh, based off uh, how yeah. much they've exceeded expectations. Yeah, well, I, I would have to say Levitt's probably a shoe in for the Broyles Award, given uh, the respect our defensive players got in the Pac-12 conference uh, teams. Right. So, I mean, if we have that few, few talent on our defense, how we ranked in the top five or top ten in the country in major categories. So I guess Levitt's a shoe in for that. We might as well celebrate that one now. Is Mike McIntyre, I don't think he's a shoe in but he's got to be uh, one of top three candidates for a national coach of the year. Um, I, I've been looking into this. I haven't gotten far enough along to say, but I think 1-8 to 8-1 and one is the best turnaround, not only in the Pac-12 conference history, but ever in college football. I haven't found another one yet. How do you not win? I mean, how do you not win? We're Colorado. We've been garbage for the past 10 years, basically, and now all of a sudden we're playing in a Pac-12 title game, have an outside shot at the playoffs, and might play in the Rose Bowl. I would say the decision's pretty easy. That news broke just right before Mike McIntyre's press conference on Tuesday. He was so uncomfortable with that praise. like <laughs> He was squirming in his seat. He couldn't deflect that attention faster than, than he did. <laughs> Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I mean, obviously, that, that should be kind of a whole staff award. I mean, there's so many yeah. people that, as Mike McIntyre eloquently put it at his press conference, that have their hand in what this program is doing. He's the one that kind of gets the, the praise or the blame, which is just the way it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I saw some Baylor media writer talking about how Mac is obviously considered at one point for Baylor's position. Uh, talking about how McIntyre's overrated and that he's only good because Levitt's there. I'm like, oh, so he doesn't get credit for hiring Jim Levitt now? That's how it works. If you take away a guy's best coordinator, he's worse? That's weird. What a concept. Yeah, I mean, you don't take anything away from Levitt and Cheverini and those guys, but you certainly shouldn't take it away from Mike McIntyre when you consider the fact that these upperclassmen that are on the field were recruited to, to Boulder before those guys got to campus, right? They've mm -hmm. done a masterful job scheming and, and improving, putting those players in a position to make plays. But yeah. Mike McIntyre took a lot of criticism for his recruiting classes his first couple of years, and those are the guys that won a Pac-12 South championship. Yeah, uh, for the most part, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's. You, I mean, I don't understand how you could still have something negative to say about what he's done here. It was fixing the attrition issue, obviously, and it was also being at the the forefront of those satellite camps. They did it at San Jose mm -hmm. State as well. It is almost perfect timing now because everyone's doing those satellite camps, and now Colorado's at a position where they don't have to turn over every single rock and right. find every hidden gem. So mm -hmm. the timing of that worked out well. Had the satellite camps boomed and everyone started doing them earlier, maybe they don't, you know, a Kenneth Olobode, Chido Beowuze, some of these guys maybe get poached by bigger schools because they see them, you know, in those situations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, there's it definitely. Recruiting has changed over the course of the last decade, for sure. I mean, it's a lot easier to be seen with the Internet age, social media, and all the camps that all these guys are doing, the rule changes and all that. So uh, they got in at the right time and found some important pieces for this program. Uh, and Based on what we've seen, they'll continue to do that.
you mentioned the the disappointment in terms of the the lack of respect for Colorado on the All Pac-12 Conference football team, which was announced on Tuesday. UCLA has more first team selections than Colorado. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, <laughs> I mean, I guess when you only have one <laughs> combined on offense and defense, it's not that hard to get. Well, if there. you include Ryan Moeller yeah, as a specialist, which, is, which it, it, nothing against Ryan Moeller, but they have 117 efficiency rating on special teams. Yeah. They don't deserve a first-team specialist on no, that list. They do not, and it's uh, yeah. I mean, most I think most of that has it doesn't even have to do with return yardage outside of the last few games. It's money. I mean, the punters and kickers. I, I'm sure I'm assuming have a lot to do with that rating, but uh, yeah, it was surprising to see Moeller get that for sure. I mean, I think most people would say he's not even the best special teams guy on the team. So um, it's interesting. I mean, Moeller's had a really nice year. He's important to what we do. But to have Ryan Moeller and Jimmy Gilbert be the two guys representing this team as first-team selections, it's kind of, I don't want to say disappointing because I'm happy for them, but it's like, come on, those aren't the two best guys on our defense, let's be real. Akella Witherspoon had a great tweet, and he tagged Tedrick and Cheeto and said, like we need any more motivation. <laughs> yeah. Great, great response. What's more egregious, Tyler, the fact that Cheeto Bayawuze is not a first-team selection or the fact that Josh Tupo is not either a first- or second-team? It's just an honorable mention. I guess I would say Tupo only because the first-team secondary is stacked. Like, I would honestly almost say Tedrick deserved it more than Cheeto to get first-team, honestly. They both are fantastic players that would be first-team all-conference selections in almost any other league. You look at the guys outside of Luani at Washington State, those are all first-round picks. Uh, you know, you're not going to find that in most other leagues. So Tupo not getting selected first or second team seems pretty egregious to me. He's kind of the cog that makes this engine work. And I actually expected Josh Tupo to get shunned because just basically people look at stats or they don't, they don't dive deep enough into this to make the right selections in this situation. You're talking about... Arguably the most important player on a top 15 defense nationally. The defense that gave up the fewest yards in the conference this season. Yeah. Actually kind of bothers me. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think it all bothers you. But at the end of the day, you know, to, to not have a guy in the secondary get first team is frustrating. Um, but having three guys on second team is impressive, you know. I mean, I think even in a best-case scenario, you were going to get one guy on first team and the other two would be second team. So it's not really like that. it's not the end of the world, I guess you could say. But I do think they they deserve a little bit more recognition. There wasn't a whole lot of guys on the honorable mention list that I really was like would stand up on a ledge. Tupo's the only one team. for me. Yeah, yeah. Oleg Bode maybe a little bit as well. But beyond that, it's like, okay, that, the, the rest of them make sense. I just feel bad that that secondary didn't get a single guy on first team. I understand there's other really good players in the Pac-12, but I, I think there would have been a way to have – Gilbert as a second-team selection. It put a Wouzier and Tedrick Thompson as a first-team selection. Moeller, I don't know, second-team or honorable mention on the specialist thing. Um, so that you're, you're not talking about anything drastic there. You're talking about two first-team guys, the yeah. same number, just different mm -hmm. guys. And then second-team, Lindsey, because they, they do pick two running backs for first and second team. Lindsey, I think, fits into that second team group yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, the first team running backs are both absolute freaks. I mean, yeah. you can't really argue with those two. Jeremy Irwin as a second team offensive line. I don't know enough about offensive linemen across the conference to really know whether that's yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think even second team for him is probably like he probably he's probably happy with that. I think some people thought he might get honorable mention there. Um, Sefo is a guy who I thought might get second team. Sometimes they throw in more than one quarterback on the team. They didn't do that this year. You cannot obviously argue with Jake Browning and Luke Falk to be ahead of him. Yeah. Those two guys are extremely talented. So, I mean, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot that I was really surprised by. It just feels like a team that finished 8-1 and one should have more than one guy at first, uh, first team offense or defense. Yeah, and then if it was up, if I was uh, the ruler of this, I would have Jimmy Gilbert second team defense and Akella Witherspoon probably on there as well. You could, I mean, even Akella Witherspoon probably deserves some uh, recon- or, you know, some thought for a first team guy, but obviously you can't mm-hmm. have everybody on right. the first team list. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's move along. Let's talk about the uniform. Stormtrooper for the championship game. What do you think on that? I like the Stormtrooper look. Uh, it's been good for us in the past. I, honestly, I haven't found a combination that I really don't like yet. I mean, I just love our colors. Black and gold, you can do a lot of good stuff with that. Love the logo. I mean, it's hard to go wrong. I think the Stormtrooper look is cool. Uh, differentiate us from Washington. They're going with their ugly purple-yellow combo. That's awful. So, yeah. Was there uh, any... Uniform combo this season that you didn't like? No, not really. I mean, I, I think they're all pretty cool. Uh, I really like the jerseys that we have right now. I mean, I'm sure I could pop up a few in my head that wouldn't look that great. I mean, probably gold or gold silver silver would probably be weird. <laughs> um, gold silver gold would be pretty weird as well. Yeah, but um, yeah, they're they're pretty fun. I love them all. I like a lot of the the new looks. I will say, for whatever bowl game they go to, go traditional for that. That's probably what they'll do, I would think. Uh, I mean, they seem to have good timing with when it's nece- when you should go traditional. So we'll see what happens. Mark Helfrich got the boot at Oregon. Not surprising. I always felt like he was in over his head a little bit. Um, obviously, he had a good first couple of years with Chip Kelly's guys. He's a nice guy. I mean, you feel bad for him. but He's I, a great guy. I do, I do think that that program is a little too big for him. Yeah, it's it seemed like... He was a little bit green walking into that that situation. Yeah. Oregon, it's interesting. They've had a lot of loyalty towards their coaches, especially mm-hmm. the assistant coaches. Even when like a Don Pelham gets promoted to defense coordinator and sucks in that role, they still keep, they put him back in his old role. They keep those guys around. For, that staff has been around for a long time. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, if the next head coach comes in. It's probably going to have to shake things up, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you bring in a guy and you're supposed to be able to get his pieces in there. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell him you have to keep these guys here. It's like, that's what you're kind of wasting. Why did you get rid of your staff <laughs> yeah. if, if you're just going to make him keep most of the guys there? So, yeah, I mean, it's the first time they've fired someone since the 70s, I saw. They've had a few coaches yeah, they went from Bilotti was there for a long time, to Chip Kelly, yeah. to, to Mark Elfridge. That's a couple yeah. decades, right? I yeah, mean, I mean, this, they've... Had a lot of continuity there, which is good. I mean, that's how you build a program. But four and eight worst record since uh, 1991. I mean, next year they have some guys, but I, mean, I don't think they're going to be world beaters by any stretch of the imagination. So it's probably time to make a move. Do you think Chip Kelly, I know he's not a big fan of recruiting, but do you think, depending on what happens with his situation with the 49ers, he might be a possibility? They there? can't get rid of him after one year, can they? I mean, they knew they were. Look at the talent on that team. What was he supposed to do? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he made Colin Kaepernick good again. I mean, you can say whatever you want about how bad the 49ers are, but Kaepernick looks tremendous. If they gave him anybody with a pulse, 
um, offensive line and got some guys who could actually play defense. Like, I, I think that he should get a couple of years there. I mean, it's the same thing. People are talking about the Browns firing Hugh Jackson. It's like, okay, you asked for this team to be awful. That's what you wanted. You're going to get rid of the guy. I mean, who's winning with the talent on these rosters? Scott Frost did a pretty darn good job in his yeah, first year at UCF. Definitely. But you also hear Phil Knight's willing to, you know, open up that pocketbook and pay big money. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Uh, our old friend Troy Walters maybe yeah. may be along for the ride if they definitely if they decide yeah, I mean, to go with Scott Frost. Yeah, this was a good year for them. I'm happy for Troy. I mean, that's they were 0 12 last year. I'm pretty. I think sure. they won one game. Oh, 1 11. Okay, and they're bowl eligible, so that's yeah. pretty awesome turnaround in year one as well. Well, I had a chance to talk with left tackle Jeremy Irwin, who we can label him as a junior now because he's going to be back in Boulder next year. Here's that interview. What uh, is this team's mindset here, uh, getting ready for the Pac-12 championship game? Win a championship. That's the only thing we got on our mind. How do you guys keep those pats on the back? Uh, and it seems like you've done it all season. You've done a good job of kind of going one and zero each week. How, how, do you, how have you guys gone about doing that, kind of eliminating the distractions? Just focusing on us. Because at the end of the day, our coach always tells us it's about Colorado. It's not about whoever we play, USC, Washington. You know, you know we're in a good conference every week. We have guys we got to go against that are good players. And it's just another game where we're playing a good team. they got a really good D-line. they got a really good secondary. Really good linebackers, really good coaches. So, you know, it's the same week to week. We just got to focus on us. Utah kind of stacked the box against you guys last weekend. Are you expecting a similar game plan out of Washington this, this Friday? Um, yeah, they, they did kind of stack the box. They came out in uh, Okisaw, which um, it's kind of because of injuries. They had two linebackers out. But, no, I, don't, I think I think UW is a, a very confident team in what they do, and they run the 4-2, and I think they're going to stick with that. You know, I don't think anything's going to change this game. Same with us, you know. We're just two good teams with trying to come in with a game plan with our base stuff we've been doing all year. When you watch this Washington team on film, do they look similar in terms of an overall talent to some of the better defenses you played this year? Like comparing, how would you compare them to a Michigan, a USC? Just as good, you know. I'm telling, like I said, when you come out in the Pac-12 conference and even in our non-conference game against Michigan, you got to play against players that are really good and they're going to compete. And like I said, Washington has a really good defense front. They got a really good linebacker core and a really good secondary. So. We're going to expect them to play hard and, and play all four quarters. What are going to be the keys for you guys offensively to have success against that defense? It's going to come down to execution and finishing. You know, it's two good teams coming together trying to win a championship. It's it's really not about X's and O's. It's about who's going to play harder for their, for longer. How do you feel like the O lines played overall this season? Obviously, an improvement from last year. Yeah, I mean, obviously an improvement. But you know, as, as to our standards, I think our run game was was much more improved and where we wanted it. But overall. You know, I think we still have room everywhere to improve, and that's how you have to look at it. Because if you don't think you have room to improve, then you're just you're kind of sitting at a level where you can't go up and down. And, you know, we look at the film every week, and, you know, there's tons of mistakes. So every week we come out and we try to fix those and we try to come, become better. You had the foot injuries, the knee injury. Going through all those tough times, is this kind of <laughs> feel like it's paying off now with the success you guys are having? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I had to stick it out for, <coughs> sorry, two seasons. You know, in injuries, just one after another, kind of just bad luck. But, you know, that happens in life. You know, you hit a couple hurdles, you just got to jump over them and keep going. So I think bouncing back and, and coming back and, and helping my team has been has been huge for not just my team, but me personally, you know. It really took a toll on me to not being able, being able to be on the field. Sean Irwin got, your, your brother got announced on senior day. You weren't. Does that mean you're coming back or are you still kind of deciding on that? Yeah, I'll be back next year. I got an year of eligibility, you know. I need to take advantage of the opportunities in front of me, which is, you know, getting more educated, you know, I've already got my first degree, but my, my legacy's not done here yet, and I, I kind of want to 
build on what we've done this year. But, you know, this year isn't over and we're playing a great team, so I'm really just focusing on that. Was there a moment when it kind of clicked for you when you said, definitely, I, I, I need to be back here next year? I mean, when I found out that I was going to get a hardship, that kind of just clicked for me. You know, I missed out on two full seasons, so... You know, that's, that's not something you get back. And luckily, me missing 80% of two seasons gave me the opportunity to come back and get one more. So I'm just taking advantage of my opportunities. You know, honestly, I'm not really worried about the sixth season right now. I'm worried about this, this Friday. Is it going to be weird, though, not playing with your brother next year? Yeah, it will be. I definitely, you know, it's, 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 it's a cool experience when you get to go to the university at such a, you know, in a Power 5 conference at such a big stage and, and go out there and battle with your, your actual brother. Because, you know, I call all these guys my brothers, but he's my blood. So it's, it's definitely going to be different. But, you know, Sean's going to move on to bigger and better things. It'll just be a new, new chapter in his life. Thanks, Jeremy. No problem. Tell us just how big of a deal is that, the fact that Jeremy's coming back for another year? It's pretty big. I mean, people are like, like, oh, I don't know how big of a deal it'll be. If you seal the left side of the line, you can do a lot of stuff with your offense. He's been pretty good this year. Um, Jared Coe being out is hurt, but I think next year you have to feel really good about the left side of that line with Jared Coe, uh, Tim Lynott moving over to center, and Jeremy Irwin handling the left tackle spot. You're going to have a lot of starts there, a lot of experience, and a lot of talent as well. Huckins probably then in at right guard, mm -hmm. and uh, Hagler, I've been really impressed with him for a, a skinny redshirt freshman. I, I expect him to win that job over Cronsage at yeah, right tackle next year. Either, no matter who it is, though, I mean, I feel like both of them have been fairly serviceable. Uh, another year in the program, the, like, the offensive line you'd have to think is going to be the best it's been in a long time next year. You heard Jeremy mention in that interview it's going to be a little weird for him not being on the same team as Sean uh, next year. Uh, obviously, Sean's exhausting his eligibility. The way they've been using the tight end this year, you just need a kind of a, a blocker in there. George Frazier comes back. You lose Cepho. You replace him with Steven Montez. You bring in a, a great group of receivers. You've already got all your receivers coming back. Yeah. You've got all your running backs coming back. Plus Jawan Winfrey. I mean, their wide receiver core next year is going to be filthy. We said it before. Their offense is going to put up a lot of points mm -hmm. next year. It could be a lot of shootouts next year. It's going to be a, a fun to watch this team again. And yeah. you look at their non-conference schedule next year, you already penciled that worst-case scenario, they're going to a bottom-tier bowl. I mean, there are going to be a bowl-eligible team next year. There's no mm -hmm. question in my mind. Yeah, I agree. I think that might take a little step back. I think 10 wins is probably – that defense will have to see how it plays out, but that seems unlikely with all the defensive seniors they're losing. But, I mean, they go 7-5, and 8-4. and four. I mean, you take that, right? I mean, I'll take going back-to-back -back bowls. Um, and I think after that, the offense loses some pieces, but you have to feel good about what's in the cupboard moving forward. Just be better than the Sun Bowl, Tyler. That's all I ask. I don't no, want to go no. to El Paso. Okay. I'm already thinking about next year's bowl. We don't even know where <laughs> they're going this year. So let's maybe get back on, on track here and talk about this year's team. It's time to dive into the Buff Stampede Radio Mailbag, which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern. Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blake Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. The Blake Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops. Buff Predictor had a question here. There seems to be some hush about Jared Coe. If there is a privacy rule in place that prohibits disclosure, I respect that. But otherwise, can you shed some light on his situation? There's absolutely no hush about Jared Coe. I asked last Wednesday if he was going to play in the Utah game. Mike McIntyre said no. This Wednesday, I was going to ask Mike McIntyre the same question, but because the championships game on, is on Friday, I forgot that we don't have availability on Wednesday, so I simply didn't have an opportunity. <laughs> That's all there is. Yeah. 
Yeah, we'll see. I mean, the line has played pretty well in his absence, which is good to see. It would. I mean, you want all hands on deck, right? Yeah. And Jared Coe, arguably, if you and we even going back to our all conference snubs, you can make a case he was a second team all, all conference guy. Again, I don't know any enough about the other offensive linemen in the conference, but uh, he was right there with Jeremy Irwin in terms of efficiency when he was healthy before getting hurt. B. Wassman said. Now that the Buffs are ranked number eight, I feel a lot better about making the Rose Bowl regardless of Friday's result. However, people are still saying that USC will jump us. Have your opinions changed now that we are eight and they are 11? Do you think that the Rose Bowl advocates will dwindle out slightly since they won't be playing this weekend? Also, who should we be rooting for in the Big Ten championship game? A lot of questions. Love it. Um, I would say that... First of all, we talked about this before the show, and I want you to explain it further, but the Rose Bowl doesn't have to take the higher-seeded team, so we'll be interesting to see how that plays out. USC, I still feel like in that scenario, is going to find a way to get the Rose Bowl bid. I would be rooting for Wisconsin. Um, I think I'm different than most people, but here is why I feel that way. Um, Wisconsin's best win right now is... It would be Penn State if they won, obviously, but right now it's LSU, ranked outside the top 20, have five losses, four losses. You know, they've been a solid team, but not spectacular by any means. Nebraska dropped out of the top 25 this week after getting smoked by Iowa. So to me, their resume is the least complete right now. Uh, Penn State has a win over Ohio State. That's obviously a tremendous win. Not only, if they win the Big Ten, they win the conference, they win the division of Michigan State, or Michigan and Ohio are both, and Ohio State are both in. I don't see any way they get left out in that scenario. There is a there is a scenario I see Wisconsin still could get left out because their resume is suspect at best. We've got some more questions about kind of the bowl picture and everything shaking out. Um, to, to your point there, the way I understand it is unless there's a wide gap in terms of rankings or losses that the Rose Bowl can theoretically take a USC team that even though if the college football rankings come out and USC is a spot or two below, they can still take USC the way I understand it. And uh, a lot of us writers have been kind of trying to do some digging on this because it's hard to find the clear written language for this stuff. It's just not out there. But I've talked to enough people where I uh, have come to realize that if Colorado loses this game, if you're a Colorado fan, just kind of brace yourself that you're probably not going to the Rose Bowl. And if by some chance the Rose Bowl still takes Colorado, then celebrate in that situation, but kind of, kind of prepare for the worst in, the, in, that, in that situation. Yeah, I feel like I kind of lean towards that most times. I'll just kind of convince myself that the, the worst case scenario will happen, and anything beyond that I feel pretty good about. But, some more, uh, uh, yeah, some more bull questions here. Reed J said uh, this, name the scenarios for this weekend that gets the buffs in the playoff, in your opinion. In my opinion, if we beat Washington, Clemson loses, and Wisconsin wins, CU is getting into the playoff. I think Michigan is out no matter what because they are not taking two teams that didn't even win their division. Am I crazy for thinking that even if Clemson wins, that the Buffs jump either Wisconsin or Penn State for the last spot with a win this weekend? Can you and Tyler put a probability percentage next to each bowl and see use chances, like 10% chance they go to a playoff, 40% chance they go to a Rose if they lose, etc.? Love these podcasts, so thank you both very much. Well, thank you for listening. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm actually going to write a piece kind of highlighting uh, both positive and negative feedback as to why a team could get in or get out, uh, talk about why they deserve to, why they don't. So look for that 
um, tomorrow. But if Penn State wins, I don't think we get in. So I disagree with you there. I don't think there's any way you can leave Penn State out. There is a scenario for Wisconsin winning that we could jump them, in my opinion, if we win. Uh, but I really think we need Clemson to lose in order to have a real chance. I don't think they'll put three Big Ten teams in. If they did, that probably, I mean, you could see the argument for it, but I just feel like the backlash would be too severe. So I don't know if they'll have the gumption, shall we say, to do it. Um, right now, I would say the most likely scenario is that we're going to the Alamo Bowl, if that's what you really want to know. Um, I would say there's, there are a better chance, the next best chance would be the Rose Bowl, then the Cotton, then the playoffs. You've been very vocal in that Colorado needs to do everything it possibly can to get in the college football playoff. Mm -hmm. That needs to be all the ultimate goal. Could you make a case, Tyler, that finishing fifth and having those questions about what could be, and then you go to the Rose Bowl and have a better chance to win, could be just a good scenario? Like, it's not... Well, it's not a bad scenario by any stretch. I mean, if you do what you need to do and you still end up fifth, fine. I mean, that's the way the, the cards played out, but... By no means do I want us to lose to avoid the playoffs. That's just not something that I'm going to say. And I don't think maybe... I don't think anybody's said yeah, that, have they? but, I mean, I, th I think if you, if you give me a choice between finishing fourth or fifth, I'll take fourth, for sure. Going to the Peach Bowl to play Alabama yeah. over going to the Rose Bowl? Yes. Okay. 100%. I mean, you take whatever small chance there is that you beat Alabama or you win the national championship, you take that chance. Nobody's going to crush Colorado for getting crushed by Alabama. A lot of teams would do that. Um, so Vegas says we'd be a 16-point underdog. It seems about right. Um, it could be worse than that. It could be better. Who knows? Uh, but, I mean... But if you get crushed by Alabama versus going to the Rose Bowl and winning the Rose Bowl, you're going in the offseason yeah. just feeling much yeah, better I mean, about if the you're program. Monday mor you're Monday morning quarterbacking it a bit, though. I mean, yeah. It, there's no guarantee they're going to win the Rose Bowl by any stretch. You know? I mean, that's... If you tell me we're going to lose to Alabama by 50 or we're going to win the Rose Bowl, then fine. I get that. But that we can't predict that. You know, you don't know. So, to me, you take the shot at the national title and see what happens. Fair enough. I still want to cover Rose Bowl, Tyler. There's time. I'm, I'm 37. I'm <laughs> over the hill. Okay. Just kidding. I don't want to offend anybody out there because it offends me when people in their late 20s say they're getting old. Sorry. Don't ever say that I to do me, that. Tyler. I do it all the time. <laughs> St. Pete Buff asked another bull question here. He asked, if the Buffs lose to Washington and go to the Holiday or Alamo Bowl, do you see the Buffs not playing well in the bowl, comparable to the 2002 Fiesta Bowl when they thought they should have been playing for the national championship? First off, before I kick it over to you, Tyler, the Holiday Bowl is not happening. Yeah. Worst case scenario, and it's this Alamo. is pretty cool. It's Alamo Bowl. Yeah, I mean, maybe not as cool of a destination, but, I mean, you're going to – if. Most likely, we'll be playing a top 15 ranked Oklahoma State team in the Alamo Bowl. It's still a huge bowl. I don't really get the comparison, honestly, because the 2002 game, we won all the games we were supposed to down the stretch and still got left out for a team we had just beaten. In the scenario he mentioned, if we lose, we will have lost, and it would be hard to really argue that we deserve to go to any of these bowls. Uh, so I would say that it, it, it would almost be a little more likely if we won, still got left out, and then you go to the Rose Bowl. Honestly, though, this team does not. And we have not done anything in ten years. Right. Nothing. That, that two thousand and one. That two thousand and one Big Twelve championship team had a, a rough two thousand season, 
but still the culture around that program was so much different. Yeah. And the excitement about this team from the fan base and, and yeah. all the national attention is so different than yeah, back then. I, I don't think this team is having a letdown. I mean, they might lose the game, but it, you know they're going to be playing someone really good no matter where they end up at this point. Yeah, I mean, it would be more likely that we win Washington, get to the Rose Bowl, and we're pissed off we didn't make the playoffs and struggle than if we lose because then we did, you know, we have three losses. We deserve to be placed wherever it may be. Smashmouth Buff asked, with the success of the 2016 football team, what do you think the average home attendance will be next year at Folsom? For comparison's sake here, Smashmouth Buff, uh, this year's average home attendance was 46,609. Next year, of course it's going to be more than that. We know that because of the excitement generated, the season tickets are going to be up. But you got to factor in next year, their non-conference games at Folsom are going to be against Texas State and Northern Colorado. <laughs> and then in conference, they play Arizona, Cal, USC, and Washington. Certainly USC, Washington can be well attended. You're not going to see anything crazy like sellouts across the board next year. That's just not happening. No, yeah, I agree. Uh, this guy goes pretty light. I was actually thinking about asking this. When was the last time we played a really good non-conference team at home? Was good it West question. Virginia or Georgia? Whichever one of those was later. Florida State came out once. Yeah, I think that was before those, though. Yeah. I think I think Georgia, no, West Virginia is the most recent. I mean, it's been a while. That seems pretty crazy. It's going to change going forward after yeah. this coming year mm-hmm. with those home-and-homes that Rick George has scheduled. They're going yeah, to have... well, 2018, we don't get one at home again because the Nebraska game is on the road. But I think after that, there's good games coming down the pipeline. But yeah, I think it'll be maybe slightly higher overall, but there's a lot of crappy games on the schedule. I'll say 48,108 is the average attendance next year. I'll say 47,681. <laughs> okay. I hope Smash Mouth Buff appreciates <laughs> our very specific answer. Yeah, yeah. Buff in Vegas asked, does Juwan Winfrey have more of an impact on offense next year? than any of the current redshirt freshmen or true freshmen that will be coming in? If not, who do you see having the biggest impact on offense of players that have yet to see the field as a buff? Yes. <laughs> if he comes back even remotely as, how, as good as he looked last year in camp, yes, you can fully expect that he will have more of an impact than anybody else coming back on the team. We talked about the guys coming back on offense and how little they lose on offense. There's not going to be a ton of players that you've yet to see on the field have a big impact, but you're going to like this one, Tyler. The guy you're going to see on the field quite a bit next year that you haven't seen a whole lot of, Chris Bounds. Yeah, that's Sean, my guy. I've been talking, about, yeah. talking about Chris Bounds for a while now. He's pretty good. He's I seen a little action gonna, this year, too. I think you guys are going to like him. He's not going to be complaining about not getting the ball thrown to him either. I mean, that's he's going to be more of kind of that mm-hmm. what Sean Irwin he's has a phys- become. Physical dude, and I think he's got a little more athleticism. I think they can use him a little bit more than Irwin, but he's a young guy. I mean, it'll take a few years for him to get there. But I think, yeah, I agree. He's uh, got a chance to be good. Wide receiver talent is going to be absolutely off the charts. Shea Fields, Bryce Bobo, Devin Ross, Juwan Winfrey, Jay McIntyre, Johnny Huntley. All the freshmen. Maurice Bell, LaVisca Chanel, Katie (laughs) Nixon. And the one guy I haven't mentioned yet that I need to is Darian Reichstraw because we kept getting questions about scout team and I kept forgetting to ask players and coaches about that. Well, I finally asked Isaiah Oliver this week 
What guy on Scott team offense is really, really impressed, is going to have a good career here? He mentioned Darian Reichstraw. He said he's given us a great look. He's going to be a really good receiver for us down the road. Maybe we should just play three linemen next year and just line <laughs> up like seven wide receivers and just let them all run. It's a good problem to have. Darren Cheverini is going to have a hard time keeping the morale of some of those guys up next year. Yeah, I don't know what you're going to tell some of these dudes because they can play elsewhere. There's not a whole lot of spots. I mean, I guess you you can tell them, you know, listen, we got three senior, or yeah, three seniors and uh, Jawan Winfrey. If he has a big year, might be an NFL guy. We'll see. So, at the very least, three spots are opening up after next year, maybe four down the line. So, I'm, hopefully, he's preaching patience with a few of these guys. Yeah, I get. I guess the way you you portrayed it there, it is good that you have the covered stock because you're going to need that for sure. Yeah, after next year, definitely. <laughs> People are like, yeah, I can't wait till the first article gets written. Oh, their offense is going to take a step down. They're losing their three senior studs. I'm just like, eh, okay, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I've got some ballers in the background here. Call me Coach B. Asked. I know a lot of recruiting info is saved for your paid subscribers, which I greatly appreciate. That said, any names to the coaching carousel? might make things interesting with in either our favor or you get a little nervous about. Then there was a similar question from King KB. Looking at the 2017 recruiting class, are there specific commits you view as higher risk to be poached by other schools? I'm particularly worried about the Texas commits. Looks like Herman is already after Grant Pauley and thinking the DeSoto commits could be difficult to keep on board. Uh, so it, it's basically about the coaching shakeups and how this is gonna affect Colorado's recruiting. Grant Pauley did receive, as he mentioned there, an offer from Texas. There's so much success with both the on-field product and, and recruiting right now. They're turning away commitments from guys that they liked in the summer right now. I certainly wouldn't get stressed out about this, don't lose sleep about it. But could there be a guy on the commit list right now that flips as a change of some of these uh, coaching changes? Sure, but you might benefit more from these coaching changes than you're actually going to have a negative uh, from it. Yeah, we'll see after we'll see who shows up, I guess, from the beneficial side. But yeah, I mean you have to be worried about Grant Grant Pauly. Texas is a huge offer for kids from Texas, no matter how down they are. Tom Herman is a big name that is huge down there. People are gonna have expectations for them to get turned around quick. And obviously Xavier Newman was a right. Texas commit as well. So I'm assuming they're gonna see we're gonna see them jump back in on him as well. You don't wanna lose those guys. They're big for the future of this program, but yeah, I mean, we're going to be hanging on by uh, by our nails and teeth by the end of this probably for a few of these guys. Which makes the Jake Moretti flip even more important. If you lost yeah. one of those guys, yeah, you don't want that to happen, but you, you at least you already got a flip from Ohio State at that you know on the offensive line. Chris Miller is another guy that didn't completely shut down the idea of taking other official visits when I talked to him. You want to keep him on board. He's We don't talk a lot about some of these skill guys mm -hmm. on the commit list because they committed – a while ago, but I was just kind of going back through Chris Miller's clips, watching his senior stuff. That kid can play football. Yeah, he's a freak. Multiple sides of the ball. You don't really know where he's going to end up, but I mean, based on what we have at the wide receiver position, you think they probably want him. Yeah. yeah, they want him to play defense. I think he has a chance to be really special. Tyler Lytle did take that trip to Indiana. It seems if you kind of base it off his Twitter account, he seems to kind of be solidly back on board. Uh, I mean, I don't know if anyone's going to feel 100% comfortable until he's actually on campus mid-January. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, honestly, getting to that stage where we get a few of those early enrollees, people will start to relax a little bit. Like, okay, we have some of these studs on campus now. Let's finish, uh, you know, let's finish strong. 
Uh, but yeah, there's always a little nerves because you know we've been we've seen kids flip from us for years and years and years down the process. Once they get bigger offers, it's hard to really get that mindset out of your head. All right, another question from Buff Predictor. While recruiting has seen an uptick in most scenarios, is McIntyre cognizant and concerned about the couple of areas where we have yet to see an uptick? I'm thinking D-line and tight end. I'll let others do the math on the position coaches for those positions. A little <laughs> dig there at the end there. Uh, yes, the staff is very cognizant of their... <laughs> Tyler's over here laughing. Did you want to comment on that? After you're done, sorry. Okay. Yes, they're very concerned. If you've uh, kind of paid attention, they're bringing in a lot of junior college defense alignment on visits. I expect that to continue. Janu- uh, I'm sorry, December 9th is going to be a huge defensive weekend. Yeah. Uh, we, we talked about how they're fortunate in the sense they don't have to turn over every rock for prep recruits, but for JUCO D linemen this cycle, yeah, turn over, turn over every single rock because you need to find a space eater that can come in and fill that nose tackle role and do it right away. Definitely. Uh, you got to have a big body in there. I think that's the biggest concern for the staff right now. Uh, as far as tight end, I mean... Just get Josh Paul to commit and you're, you're good to go. Yeah, I, if not, like, okay, fine, we didn't take a tight end this class, so I think we'll be fine. You know, Sebastian um, Olver could potentially yeah, fit into that Yeah, role. I mean, there's you can always find a tight end. <laughs> I feel like that's that's we, we don't use them a whole lot, and not to do, you know downgrade what they do for us. Obviously, Sean Irwin is important to what we do, but there's some guys in the pipeline that can help us. It's not as big of a deal. Um, you can find blockers. We have some. We even have some tackle tight end, you know, swing guys. You know, maybe one of those guys ends up getting being smaller and um, staying at tight end. You never know. Or you just use a sixth lineman as a tight end spot sometimes. We talked about all that talent they have at receiver. The only way they're going to use a tight end in the passing game is if they get a Josh Fall type in here. Otherwise, right. it's just not going to be part of the game plan. Did you have any other comments there? No, I just thought it was funny. We'll see. We'll see if we have any staff changes. It'd be it would be hard to expect one, I guess, after you go ten and two in regular season. Jim Jeffcoat. I know that um, he had a lot of talent on the D line, but even if he's not a dynamic recruiter, especially if you're going to get a tenth assistant, the uh, NCAA is most likely going to approve that. I mean, going not forward. everybody's a dynamic recruiter. Right. You cannot. You know, every staff around the country has a guy who's not a good recruiter. I think Jim Jeffcoat's shown enough as a position coach to kind of have the heat laid off a little bit. Yeah. I mean, next year will be a big test for him. I mean, if, if he can get those guys next year to perform, he'll be around for a while probably. And he stumbled upon Steven Montes. Yeah, that worked out. Not, not bad. <laughs> LJ Buff 4 asked a basketball question. This is all you, Tyler. All right, man. I'm in football mode right now. Okay, sorry. What needs to happen as far as our reputation, prestige, etc., to get our basketball team in more prominent non-conference tournaments? It seems like we've been positioned ourselves into one OK holiday tournament and one solid non-conference opponent each season. Would like to see us take the next step to getting a second national type game or even a neutral site game with a blue blood. Is this a situation where teams don't want to play us or are we turning them down in favor for a solid scheduled of 200 or better RPI opponents? Tyler. You have the floor. Uh, I would say we've done a pretty good job with our schedule in the past. This year, not as much so as in years past, but that's just one year. I mean, we played Iowa State neutral to start the year last year. That's the exact type of game you're talking about in the question. Um, we've played in some pretty high-profile tournaments, I would say. We haven't played in the Maui in a while, but uh, they rotate those guys around. Uh, most of the other ones we've been in are have been pretty good competition, I would say. So, yeah, I mean, we do a good job of getting not – 
terrible opponents at home, but not great ones either, I guess, for the RPI calculation. I would like to see us have maybe one more big game a year, home and home. To be honest, though, a lot of teams don't want to play at Colorado because the altitude and we're really, really tough to beat there. So, I mean, that's hard. I mean, you have to do a home and home. I wish Tad used his, a little, his connections to get that a little bit more, like Maryland, Texas A&M, those type of schools where he knows guys. Um, but it sometimes just doesn't work out that way. People don't like to come west for uh, road games. Ted has said that it is very challenging for him to put the schedule together. Yeah. We have your final Pac-12 power rankings. Because, I mean, after the championship game, it's going to be kind of obvious, right? Who's <laughs> one and two? Yeah, um, for sure. So we can go into it here. Number 12. What's your guess? Arizona Wildcats. Nope. Oregon. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't agree, but was, wow. Come on, man. <laughs> they were terrible down the stretch. Yes, they beat Utah. Fine, fine, fine. You can't lose to Oregon State. Just can't do it. That's he got their coach got fired. I mean I guess that's yeah. how, that's, how, that's how you end up I, last in the back of power. I, I, I forgot that Arizona did beat Arizona State yeah. this last week. So I guess you're you are kind of splitting hairs yeah. there. Yeah, so I actually have Arizona State eleven. Again, wow, okay. to Arizona. Free they, fall. Dude. They were 5-1. and one. Yeah, and finished 5-7. and seven. I mean, if that doesn't deserve to be at the bottom of the power rankings, nothing does. They have too much talent to lose six straight games. That was pretty rough, especially when you finish the year getting blown out, basically, by Arizona, who doesn't have a conference win. Uh, that was pretty bad. Arizona, number 10. That was not a great year by any stretch of the imagination. But they did have a ton of injuries. Uh, right. We'll see kind of how they come back. And kudos, they, they pulled it back together for that rivalry. Game. Yeah, I mean, anytime you can beat your rival, no matter how bad the year is, at least they finish on a sweeter note, you know. Um, UCLA, number nine, blown out by Cal. There's some bad teams in this league, man. <laughs> Jeez. We talk, people are freaking out about how the Pac, say, people are saying the Pac-12 is down. I mean, I don't know how you could look at the last six teams on this list and be like, and say the conference is good. They have six good teams. But they also have six awful teams. Yeah. And that has to be factored in as well. Um, Oregon State, number eight, uh, played really well, I think, based on, based on expectations this year. I thought they might go winless in conference. So I think they ended up with three conference wins. From the middle um, of the season to the end, that's the most improved team in the conference. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, kudos to them, man. Uh, it's, I'm happy to see them do well. For whatever reason, I've always had a soft spot for them. Cal, number seven, finished the year not horribly, surprisingly. Obviously, the UCLA win was big for them. They have an outside shot of making a bowl game if a few teams decline. Seems unlikely, though. You have them too high. We can't play the violin music this oh, week. Oh, we can. I mean, we'll talk about there, Davis there's like, for a while. There's like a gap the size of the Titanic between them and number six on the list. So it's do, all do, good. Do you want to talk about Davis Webb for a little while? No, who's that? <laughs> I've never heard of him before. Somebody said that after our segment last week that he's going to Cancel his Buff Stampede subscription. Oh, he still has one? Yeah. I said, you're going to have to fire up that sad violin music. (laughs) All right, well, sorry, Davis. You deserve it. What would have happened... I'm sorry to hijack your power rankings here, but what would have happened if Davis Webb stuck with Colorado? Sefo Lufa beats him out, right? I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah, I guess you would think so. I mean, we'll say that if... The season would not be... Be a sweet if Davis Webb was. The I will, I will say this: if Seffo getting hurt in that Michigan game, it would have been pretty cool if we could throw Davis Webb in there and not Stephen Montez, who'd never thrown a pass. I will say that. But then we wouldn't know what we have in Steve. That's what the Buffs have in Stephen. One hundred percent correct. I mean, maybe 
I mean, he was pretty good. <laughs> I think we felt like he was pretty good regardless of how he played in the game. The fan base but, didn't, though. They didn't yeah, believe us. Okay, well, they would have found out. Um, I, w- I would, you know, if they go into USC with Davis Webb, not Montez. Not to say that Montez played terribly. He didn't at all. He played much better than expected. But it could have been, that could have been fun. I will say that. Okay. Um, yeah, but I guess it probably in the end was the better decision for him in terms of playing time because if Cephal really is healthy, it's hard to imagine them making a decision to go with Davis. Well, you look at the, the team camaraderie and how important that's right. been. If you have Davis Webb in there, Plus the running he's not going to have the, the same reaction to being the backup that Steve Montez did, knowing yeah. that he's got, Montez has mm-hmm. three years of eligibility sure. left. Yeah, plus, you know, Mont- or, uh, Cephal's running ability has been an important part of what we do. So, uh, Number six, Stanford. Pretty good number six, I would have to say. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is a guy that should be in the Heisman consideration, and he's not. He's had almost 1,000 yards rushing in his last five games, which is insane. 11 touchdowns throughout that stretch. Uh, and by the way, they're ranked number 18 in the country and are 9-3, and three, and uh, they lost one game with him healthy, and that was against us. I think that would say that you're the Heisman candidate. They, they're, they struggled without him or at least when he was hurt in those Washington and Washington State games. When they write um, off a Heisman Trophy candidate, it seems like they just fall off the face of the earth. And yeah, no one ever looks. I mean, you look at his numbers compared to what everybody else that's being considered. I mean, we're still talking about Dante Foreman at Texas, who they're like 4-8. and eight. Give me a break. Uh, Washington State. Oh, no, sorry. Utah, number five. Honestly, they're a solid team. Uh, they're obviously ranked higher than Washington State right now, but I think Washington State would beat them. Uh, I know you disagreed with me last week. Watching those two teams play us, we gave Utah all the help in the world, still couldn't get it done. Washington State gave us a lot of help, I thought, in our game with them. Uh, Left some points on the board. They're pretty explosive. And Utah's defense was solid, um, but Washington State's offense is better than us. They would have put up some points, I think. But that's just a personal opinion. So I have Washington State four. Really good team. Obviously, tough schedule down the stretch. You know, you go at Colorado and then finish with Washington. Fill out of the top 25. I still feel like they beat a lot of the teams that we see at the bottom 25 of the rankings right now. The bottom five, I guess I should say, of those rankings. Uh, USC, I have number three. Playing extremely well right now, but you're not in the conference championship game at the end of the day. That's what this is all about. We'll see how it plays out for them. Obviously, they can move back up based on what we see this weekend. Uh, Colorado, number two. I know I had them one last week. I'm going to move them down. Playing Washington, those special teams issues still have to linger a little bit in your head. They're, you know, the underdog against Washington for a reason. I mean, Washington is probably, the, the, you know, they have the best playoff chances right now. Any, any one through three, though, I mean, all of those teams are really tightly contested, really, really good football teams. So Washington's number one for me this week. We'll see if we can uh, finish on top of the leaderboard. All right. Well, the Brick games are back. After a little hiatus there, there wasn't a whole lot to be brick-worthy there for a minute. They got bricks for their wins over Washington State and Utah. If you could award, so you have two bricks in your hands, and you get to award them to any game this year up until this point. Two bricks? Two bricks. Are you you falling in line with that, Utah-Washington State? Me neither. Me neither. Uh, I, I take Stanford and I take Utah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Uh, for me, 
Stanford was the game you got bowl eligible. Plus, you're beating a powerhouse in the Pac-12. I mean, even even when we beat Oregon, we knew they weren't going to be a conference contender this year. Stanford, we thought, might still have a chance, even though they were struggling right before that. Stanford is the one to me that shows we were ready to go. Um, I mean, Oregon was really reeling, not necessarily at that point, but you knew they had issues on defense. We felt pretty good about Oregon playing against Oregon in that game, even with Montez. That says all you really need to know there, in my opinion. Stanford, I think I predicted us to lose in a close game, but you knew that we had a chance even with McCaffrey and all their guys coming back. I think that's the that might be the biggest win of the year before Utah for me, um, looking back on it. And then obviously Utah winning the division, that's an easy one. You're not going to agree with me here, but I'm going to ask you this question. What resulted in the biggest celebration in terms of a, a finish. Oh, yeah. No, I, I mean, Oregon would be up there. That's what you're going to say, I, right. I would imagine. I, I believe that, too. What happens if Akella Witherspoon, let's say that pass goes over Akella Witherspoon, Colorado at that point is 2-2. Two two. They're not going to go on this run. College kids are, from a psyche standpoint and, and a momentum standpoint, it can be a fickle game at times. For sure. And we've seen it in the reversal. They literally ruined Oregon's season because they could not recover from that game. Mark Helfrich, after that game, said it was like a train wreck. Yeah. I know, yeah. I know Oregon's ranked last on your Pac-12 power rankings, but from uh, we've arrived, we're going to make a statement, all of that stuff. I was out there in Eugene. The look on the face of, of the coaches and players was just sheer relief, excitement. They yeah. were just over the moon because of the, the, the end of that football game. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think if you had flipped the order of those two games, though, the same would have been said about Stanford. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I'd, either one of those to me are you could argue it, and I'm not going to – I mean, they could give brick games to both of those, and it wouldn't disappoint me any. Uh, I just think that you, know, you could say the same thing about that Stanford game. It was a really close game. They had some chances to score and didn't. We had some chances to score and didn't. I mean, that could have gone a different way as well. Uh, either one of the two are – Fine answers. I mean, if they could have gotten brick games for any of those, I I think the Washington State one, I would have put fourth, honestly. Yeah, I would have, my other brick I would give for the Utah game because you clinched the the division. Mm-hmm. What, what about you? That other brick? yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the easiest one for sure. Utah. I mean, no no questions asked. That's a you know that's your rival in quotation marks, shall we say? We've had tight games with them throughout, and yeah, you win the division based on the game. There's a lot of pressure behind that game. It's much cooler how they have the bricks now, too. It's in the hallway that leads from, like, it, there's the ticket office, and then there's the door in the hallway that leads down to the locker room. Mm-hmm. They've got all the, their awards in there. Have you, You've taken a tour of that. Yeah. You know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about. Um, and in the old Dow Award Center, when they brought back the bricks, it was really cheesy. It was almost kind of just like they put stickers over the bricks. It wasn't like actual bricks. Now they have the bricks sitting out, and there's a big video board you can pull up highlights from any of those brick games. So it's kind of a cool deal that they have now. It's kind of unfortunate it's restricted access. A random fan can't go up there and see that stuff, but I'm sure it's cool for the recruits when they go on tours. Yeah, to see it would all be sweet stuff. if they put that in a window, like where that Ralph right. statue is now, somewhere out on that wall. That if you like to have the walkway where all the brick, the right. other bricks are, yeah. I guess you could say, if they had that out on display, that'd be pretty. That'd be pretty sweet. What were your thoughts on that statue? Uh, the buffalo is too small, right? Man. Yeah, it's like Ralphie didn't it's eat dope. for a month and had like yeah. mono or something. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's dope. But yeah, you, I mean, if anything, you got to make the buffalo bigger than they really are. Right. I mean, that's the centerpiece of the whole thing. I think 
partly why they did that was because it's an interactive thing. They actually, behind the buffalo, if you haven't seen the statue, has footsteps that you can go in. And then if you take a picture from the other side, it looks like you're, you know, riding Ralphie. If, <laughs> if you had a huge buffalo, <laughs> get your head out of the gutter. No, that's not what I'm saying. I just think that's hilarious that they came up with that. But I think that's why the buffalo is small, because if they had a huge Ralphie, then, like, nah, you would soft. be able to, yeah. I'd much rather you just, come on, put the little kid up there. Come on, Dad. You can get him up there. All right. Well, there's Mike McIntyre rumors, or at least there was with the Baylor until I think finally people are realizing that that's just a stupid argument. Yes. Or, do you know yes. the SMU head coach doesn't want the Baylor gig? So I'm guessing the national coach of the year probably could, if he wanted to leave Boulder, which I don't think he does, Here's would have better thing. options. People are like, oh, his daughter goes there. He's religious. Went, went, went there. Keyword past tense. It's, yeah. Also, And also, he's again, he's religious. Do you think he wants to be associated with what's going on in that program right now, despite the fact that Baylor is a religious university? No. Come on. I mean, why would you do that? Why would he go straight to another rebuild? If he's going to take another job, <laughs> at this point, he's going to get a legitimate one where he can win national titles and <laughs> not have another rebuild. I mean, Baylor needs another rebuild. They have one commit. Right. They're in trouble. And you're already behind the eight ball for 2018. Yeah, this it's a bigger deal. It reminds me of not that Colorado's situation was ever as bad as Baylor's, but when Dan Hawkins had the lame duck year, you not only rec uh, ruined recruiting for that year, you ruined it for the next cycle yeah. too. It's you got to have a head start in recruiting. Uh, but in terms of Mike McIntyre and these rumors, let's admit it, it's going to ha keep happening. Oh, for sure. And, and, he, and let's he, let's all agree not to overreact, for, right? He deserves. I mean, you don't have to worry about that with me. You know that. I mean, but the fans are going to overreact. Um, it, the one scenario I could see possibly happening right now is McElwain goes to Oregon like people are talking about, and then Florida calls McIntyre. Uh, I think that would be a crazy story <laughs> based between the CSU and the CU stuff. If an SEC, a legitimate SEC program comes calling, he's going to have to listen, and you couldn't even be mad. I mean, they're... We'll see how it plays out. I'd be surprised if anything does happen this year. But if he continues to have success and a big SEC program comes calling, good for you, Coach Mack. I mean, come on. I don't see it happening unless there's he's disrespected in terms of a raise and in a contract extension, which yeah. Rick George, again, we, we've I've said it before, you don't necessarily want to have blind faith with anybody, but if there's anyone that's earned a respect to have close to blind faith, it's Rick George. Mm -hmm. And I certainly don't think he's going to be stupid enough to disrespect Mike McIntyre. No, I agree 100%. I mean, I, I don't think he's going to leave because of anything that we do. I just think if he continues to have success and gets the right job, not only is he going to go, he should go. I mean, that's how college football works. I mean, if you get if you can get a better job, good for you. I mean, it, and let's be honest, that means we're in a pretty good position as well. We're not going to lose a coach to... LSU or whoever it may be because we're struggling. So, I mean, that's part of the nature of the business when you have success. Jay McIntyre, still two years of eligibility, doesn't have that red shirt in his back pocket. So uh, if, if his dad got a job in SEC country, it'd be kind of an awkward situation there. Um, Johnston McIntyre, there's a chance he might go play Division three basketball or football. Or I've heard there, there's a chance he might actually be a student beginning up at CU next year. Okay. Yeah, I mean, those obviously all help you. I think Mac loves Colorado. I mean, that's He absolutely does. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously got to be factored into the equation as well. Um, I would, Like I said, I'd be surprised if he leaves this year. 
If we have continued success over the next few years, I wouldn't be. So Colorado, 10-2 against the spread, 10-2 regular season record. Very impressive, but not as impressive <laughs> as their record in coin tosses, 11-1. Yeah, as soon as they had the coin toss against Utah, I was like, we're winning, let's go! <laughs> Yeah, I don't Isn't that know. Crazy. I almost feel like if we ever lose, it's going to be such bad juju now. <laughs> like if we lose the, the whole the whole they get the ball in the second half. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do they go tails every time? That's what Sefo when okay. he has an option, he says that. Yeah, huh. I didn't even know that part of it. We'll obviously talk more men's basketball going forward, uh, but we're recording this the same day as the CUCSU game, so it would be kind of silly for us to sit here spending a half an hour discussing something that's going to change in a few hours from now. Yeah. Um, when, you know, obviously most people listen uh, a day or whenever later. I hope you guys all showed up to the game whenever you listen to this. And if not, I hope you feel bad. I'm not going to be there. Are you mad yeah. at me? I am, yes. Patrick Godosi's covering for me, though. That's fine. Come on, man. CUCSU basketball. The game's on Friday. It's Wednesday. But Come I'm, on, people. I'm, I'm flying out to Phoenix... Get a little yeah, mom's okay, cooking. Yeah, you get gonna... a pass because you're traveling. Okay. You're doing your job. All these other people, it's like, oh, it's football season. It's like, okay, actually the game's on Friday. It's, it's Wednesday. You can do it, I swear. This is the one of two days a year where CSU can be relevant. I always have to bite my tongue because I always want to go on a rant about how basketball should be a spring semester sport only. Yeah. But I'll save you all that rant. <laughs> And T's next weekend, December 9th, that's going to be a huge recruiting weekend for Colorado. It's going to be kind of a defense, not defense only, but they're going to focus on bringing their top remaining defensive targets and their defense commits. Uh, having guys like Jonathan Van Deest there on their official that weekend should be uh, very helpful. Yeah, definitely. Um, we'll see who ends up coming, but yeah, I mean, I think this... It, I don't want to say recruiting has slowed down because you know you're in season and we had important games. I understand why we were why we didn't take as many guys in. Now that we're off a little bit, obviously the Pac-12 game will be done. We'll have some time before our bowl game to get ready. They can focus on these kids, uh, but you don't want to lose too much momentum. You want to get a couple guys out of that weekend for sure. Definitely. Well, we've talked enough here. I think uh, Pac-12 championship game. I hope you all enjoy it. Any last words, Tyler? Unbelievable run, man. I hope you guys. Take the moment to reflect on it because you never know when this kind of stuff happens again. It's been crazy. All right. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. I'm way up, I feel blessed. Way up, I feel blessed. I'm way up, I feel blessed. Straight up, straight up. Way up, I feel Look, blessed I ain't gon' say that we back or nothing Cause that implies that we're back from something If we're back from something, it's some checks you owe us I expect that payment, nothing less or over I don't need them favors that you ask me for